Good morning, church. It's good to see you all. I'm glad you're here. Glad to be together as we continue our summer series called Relational Wisdom. Relational Wisdom. We're looking at the book of Proverbs. We all know that we need wisdom to navigate the complexities of living in this world, this fallen world. But we also know that wisdom doesn't just happen, right? You don't just wake up one morning and say, I want to be wise, and boom, you're wise. No, we must seek after it. Wisdom is calling out. Pursue wisdom, the Proverbs say. Wisdom is a path. Not a door. It's not that you open it up and you're you're wise. No, it's a path. It's the daily habits that we build into our lives that will determine whether we walk down that path of wisdom. Remember that the Proverbs are not promises. They're principles. They're big picture principles that help us walk down the path that God has for us to lead us into wisdom. Today we consider one of the main themes of the book of Proverbs, and that is anger. Anger, wisdom for our anger. If we're going to grow in relational wisdom, wisdom within our relationships, we especially need help in understanding our anger and handling our anger, addressing our anger. We need to understand it and we need to be able to address it properly. So as we get started, let me just ask you, be honest here, do you struggle with anger? Good. Got a couple of people who are honest. Next week we're talking about lying. So, <laughs> look, uh, in general, I'm not an angry person. Do I have a strong personality? Yes. Do I have strong opinions? Yes. Do I like to talk a lot? Yes. But anger is not usually my thing. But anger does sometimes get the best of me. A number of years ago, uh, I had a week, an entire week, where God was teaching me about my anger. Uh, It started with a trip to my brother's house, who lives about five hours away. We were going to go down for the weekend. We don't go and see him that often, and it's a a hard trip. There's a lot of traffic, but we're going to do this thing. And so my family gets in the car, in the van. My kids were much younger, and we start driving down to my brother's house, And we get there, we're having a great time, and within hours, my son starts feeling sick. And if you know my family, you know what's coming. The stomach bug. It is the thorn in our side. We try to get him settled, we try to keep him comfortable. Not shortly after that, my daughter gets it. Now she's throwing up. We're in my brother's house, two of our kids are down, three to go. We know it's coming for us. That's how it works in our family. And my wife has had enough. And she says, and she, oh, sorry. She strongly urges me that we need to leave our family trip and drive home the same day. I'm not happy about this. So here we are driving literally in the middle of the night. I am prying my eyes open to stay awake. My daughter's hurling in the back. And as soon as we get home, my wife gets it. And now I'm trying to care for the rest of my family, and my patients had already run out, and I'm testy, and I'm on edge. And after a few days of this, they're finally getting better, and I start to think, maybe we're out of the woods. Maybe I won't get it. Nope. Nope. I got it. 
And then I remembered, oh, two days later, I have jury duty this week. So I get to the courthouse, barely recovering from the stomach bug. I pull out my laptop. I just want to be left alone and study for my sermon, right? And I'm crying on this. And I have this cup of tea next to my, my, my laptop, which is a brand new laptop that church had provided. I was so excited. And I'm drinking my tea. And if you know me, I, I tend to fumble things a lot. And I drink my tea and I sit out down and I go, whoa, and it, it, it spills all over my laptop. And I think, oh, no problem, you know, you can clean that off and you dab it off. Nope, the computer is completely dead. I fried the motherboard just like that. I am fuming. So I'm grasping, finding any kind of piece of paper, a napkin, so I can scribble on notes on the sermon for the week, which was by God's providence on anger. Anyone ever been in a situation where you just reach your boiling point? Maybe you lost it and you took it out on someone you care about. Or maybe you let it fester for a long time and then it kind of blows up. Anyone else struggle with anger? Look, anger can take on many forms. It can be explosive or it can just simmer. It can show itself in yelling or it can show itself in giving the silent treatment. My guess is that most of us need wisdom for our anger. Turn to the book of Proverbs. We'll start in Proverbs 14, 29. I'll read four verses. We'll come back to, to these along the way. Proverbs 14, 29 says this. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Proverbs 15, 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 15, 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Proverbs 19, 11. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. This is God's Word. A couple lessons that we draw out from these Proverbs as we think about anger. Lesson number one, anger is a good, God-given emotion. We have to start here. Anger is not inherently bad. At its core, anger is an expression of judgment at something that is wrong. That's what, it is. That's what it is. As one, uh, as one writer said, he puts it this way, anger expresses this. Anger expresses, I'm against that. I'm against that. That's what anger expresses, right? When you, it, it's the expression of judgment against something wrong. You, you sense, you know something is wrong and the anger is that expression of it. When you see a little boy hit a little girl and, and something in you cringes inside, why? Because you've made a judgment that is wrong. Something wrong happened. That's anger and that's actually a good thing. God wired the human heart to experience anger. That means anger in and of itself is not sinful or evil. In fact, the Bible specifically tells us that anger can be a good thing. Notice some of these Proverbs we look at. Proverbs 14, 29. Whoever is, what? Slow to anger has great understanding. 
or the one we just looked at, Proverbs 19.11. Good sense makes one what? Slow to anger. Slow to anger. Did you notice it doesn't say whoever has no anger has great understanding? That's not what it says. It says whoever is slow to anger. The Apostle Paul takes it a step further in the New Testament. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, Paul says this, and he quotes the Psalms. He said, be angry and do not sin. Or King James, be angry and sin not. Notice, be angry, that's a command. We should be angry sometimes. Which means it's possible to be angry and not sin. In fact, in some situations, it would be a sin not to get angry. Does that sound strange to you? If you've grown up in some kind of religious context, maybe even in a church, maybe in a strict religious context, you might have, you might have heard or you might have gotten the impression that anger is just wrong. It's always wrong. That we should avoid anger at all costs. Now, we're going to talk about the dangers of anger in just a few minutes, but the point is, there are times and there are things that should make you angry. For example, there are one billion children in the world living in abject poverty. Today, they will not eat, and tomorrow, they will likely not eat. That should make you angry. If anger expresses, I'm against that, you should hear that and go, I'm against that. That's wrong. It's not right. That should feel unjust and wrong because it is unjust and wrong. There are 6,700 people groups in the world who have never heard the gospel. That's not right. That's wrong. You should not be okay with that. If you are okay with that, then that is what is wrong. If you say, no way, Mark, we should be saddened by those things, but not angry. We should feel burdened, but not angry. Okay, let's take a case study. Let's look at the ultimate, the, the ultimate human, the best human who's ever lived, Jesus Christ. Fully human, fully God. Did Jesus ever get angry? You better believe it. Mark chapter 3, he's about to heal a guy with a, 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 an injured hand and the Pharisees are judging him because he's about to do it on the Sabbath and it says Jesus got angry at their hard-heartedness. Matthew 21, Jesus enters the temple in Jerusalem and there's money changers, people making a profit off the everyday man and it's wrong and, the, and it's exorbitant and, it, and it's just, it's not supposed to be that way and Jesus doesn't come in and go, um, um, excuse me guys, that's, uh, that's a little bit, no, you know what he does? He comes in the temple, he overthrows the tables, it literally says he makes a whip and drives them out. And in John 11, when Jesus approaches the tomb of his best friend, Lazarus, who had already died. He'd already grieved with Mary and Martha. He was weeping. But now he gets to the tomb, and it says that Jesus was, and it uses a, a, a unique term, but literally the word means he got angry at death itself. Jesus got angry, and he never sinned in his anger. His anger always drove him to do good, 
Just in case you need more convincing, anger reflects the very heart and character of God himself. When God reveals himself as in, to Moses on Mount Sinai, we've been studying the book of Exodus. God in, in Exodus 34 tells Moses, this is who I am. Moses says, show me your glory. And God says, I'm going to pass by all my goodness. My very being is going to pass by you. I'm going to show you who I am. And what does God say to Moses? He says, this is who I am, the Lord Yahweh, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, what? Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God is saying, this is my glory. This is my goodness. This is my character. I get angry, but I'm slow to anger. So the ideal, the ideal is not no anger, and the ideal is certainly not blow-up anger, The ideal is slow to anger. Wisdom is knowing when to get angry and how to express that anger. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is knowing when to get angry and how to express that anger. Slow to anger is the mark of a wise person because it reflects the very heart and character of God. If you're here and you're struggling with the idea of a God who gets angry, which I, I'm sympathetic to that. I know a lot of friends who are not Christians, and that's one of their hang-ups with Christianity in the Bible. You believe in a God who's so angry, a God of wrath. I just want a God of love. Let me just push back against that a little bit. If you, if you say, I want a God of love, not anger, can, I, can, can you please hear me for just a moment? If you have a God who never gets angry, you can't have a God of love. Because if he never gets angry about anything, he doesn't love anything. Let that sink in. You can't have a God of love who doesn't get angry or he doesn't love anything. If you love someone and that person is threatened, don't, don't you want to do something about that? Doesn't anger get well up in you and say, this is not right? If you love someone and they are threatened, it should make you angry. If you are indifferent or you don't care that a loved one is potentially being attacked, that's, then you don't really love that person. True love always gets angry at some point. As one person put it, one, one a preacher put it, love, anger is love in motion towards a threat to that which you love. Anger is love in motion towards a threat to that which you love. Which tells us that anger is really a sign. Anger simply communicates something. And what anger tells us, what anger communicates to us is, what do you care about? What do you really love? Listen, in the Bible, whenever God is angry, he's angry at sin. Because it poisons the soul of humanity. It's literally destroying our soul. Anger is literally destroying, sin is literally destroying families and communities. And yes, that angers God because he loves us immensely. There are some things that should make us angry. But lesson number two, anger has a unique and destructive power. Yes, it is a good God-given emotion, but it is a strong emotion. It is very powerful and even destructive. It's so dangerous, some call it the dynamite of the soul. 
Did you know more than any other emotion, anger has the power to destroy your body? More than sorrow, more than even anxiety, some studies show. Research has shown anger leads to headaches, migraines, digestion problems, insomnia, depression, high blood pressure, heart attacks, and strokes. Some studies suggest anger is harder on your heart than extreme physical exertion. Anger can damage your body physically. But not only that, it damages our relationships. We read Proverbs 15, 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife. Anger hurts other people because it leads to conflict, which destroys relationships. Anger wants to nail that person who's wronged us. Anger wants to tear down other people. Not only that, anger destroys your ability to even exercise wisdom itself. It hinders your ability to make good choices rooted in self-control. Proverbs 14, 29, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. The word for temper there is the, has the idea of a nose that grows hot like that of an enraged bull. That, you see the word picture for anger there? Right? As anger builds, you, 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 it gets heavier and heavier. The snorting gets it's heavier and heavier. You say, well, I've never seen a bull. Well, have you ever seen a child throw a fit? Right? You know what it's like. We've seen this word, this word picture. <laughs> right? It's building, it's building, and they don't know what to do. And then I got to throw something or, or kick something or do something or say something. A hasty temper exalts folly. When that happens, we've lo- we lose our self-control. We act out of unrighteous anger. It leads to folly. We know this as adults too because in our anger, how many of us have said all kinds of things that later when we've calmed down, we go, why did I say that? Right? We would not say that when we were li- if we were under self-control. But when anger takes over, it exalts folly. Anger leads to a destructive cycle of choices. Proverbs 19, 19, a man of great wrath or anger will pay the penalty for if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. What is that saying? It's saying that angry, anger can be an incredibly destructive force because it becomes a habitual problem. It's like, anger is like an addictive substance. You bail a guy out from jail, it says, and he was landed there from his anger, and he's going to end up right back there in his anger. Why? Because anger, like other addictions, involves denial. Did you know that? Anger leads to denial. We can admit when we're sad. We can admit when we're anxious. But when we're angry, nobody wants to admit it. I'm not angry. I'm just, I'm, I'm just frustrated. I'm not angry. I'm just blowing off some steam. I'm not angry. I'm just annoyed. Right? We got lots of ways of, of masking our anger and denying our anger. It's cunning. That's, how, that's, how cunning. That's, that's the cunning nature of anger. It hides itself in our hearts. That's what gives it the destructive power, both in our bodies and in our relationships and in our decisions. 
Do you recognize the destructive power of anger in your own life? However it exhibits itself. Do you recognize the destructive power of anger in your life? Lesson number three, the problem with your anger is disordered love. We're going to dig a little bit deeper into what causes our anger. Why do we get angry? You see, the fundamental problem with our anger, the reason why it is so destructive is because our anger is disordered. What, what is it? Where am I getting that word? I, I've, I've quoted this before. St. Augustine in his classic work, uh, Confessions, he said that our biggest problem in life is, is that we have disordered love. What does that mean? It means there are many good things in life, right? Your spouse is a good thing. Your kids are a good thing. Your friends are a good thing. Your house is a good thing. Your grandkids are a good thing. The, the political causes that you believe in, those are good things. Your job is a good thing. Your hobbies are a good thing. We have all kinds of good things. The problem is when you take a good thing and then it becomes an ultimate thing, a godlike thing, then we start to love those things so much that we begin to see those things as the things that give our lives meaning and significance. And that's the, those are the things that only God is meant to give us. And that's called disordered love. Your love is not ordered properly. It's now disordered. It's out of whack. God is meant to be your greatest good, your greatest love. But when you love other things too much, all of a sudden they become harmful. I remember when I was a little kid, we had a, I had a close family member who was in a dating relationship, and, and the relationship fell apart. They broke up, and, and my family member was heartbroken. I mean, like, like just totally undone. It was, it was crushing. Yes, if you break up with someone, it will be painful, deeply so. But if that person becomes your ultimate thing, it will feel like you can't keep on living. That's disordered love. Let me ask you, what do you get angry about? What do you get angry about? Whatever you get angry about is what you love most. Do you love your comfort? And whenever something threatens your comfort, it will anger you. Do you love your reputation? Then whenever you're slighted, it will anger you. Do you love control? Then whenever you feel it slipping away, it will anger you. What is that thing for you? This is the problem with anger. Because of our disordered love, we put self before God, above God. And whenever our pride is assaulted, uh, we feel the need to defend that idol, that thing of self at all costs. Let me show you how this happens in relationship. Paul says, be angry and do not sin, and do not let the sun go down in your anger. Give no opportunity for the devil, or don't let the devil get a foothold. So in sinful anger, the enemy comes in and he uses his masterful art of lying or deception. And we start to believe those lies. You see, when you let anger fester, maybe it's toward your spouse or your friend, and you don't deal with that anger in a proper way, something begins to happen inside. What happens is this. You become 
or you think you become an expert in that person's weaknesses. And at the same time, you become blind to their strengths. And so you, are, you start to overstate things. You never do this. You always do that. What have you done? You've taken your strengths and measured them against their weaknesses. And that's what you use to justify your anger. You're really good at managing the family schedule, but he isn't. You always take out the trash, but she never thinks about it. So, of course, you compare your strengths to their weakness, and it fuels the anger. And all of a sudden, you've given the enemy a foothold. I'm telling you, this is what is plaguing your marriage right now. This is what is plaguing our friendships right now. This is what will split churches, and it has done for years. This is why some of you won't join a small group. This is why some of you are so critical. It's because you've become an expert at other people's shortcomings and failures while being blind to your own. And that's disordered love. Unless we are serious about killing anger at its root, it will continue to be a destructive force spiraling into us, deepening into our, until it creates this root of destruction both, at, both in our hearts and in our community. So what do we do? We need help, right? We need wisdom for our anger. Look, Jesus can redeem and transform your anger. How do we let him do that? Is there hope for us? Let me share three points. This is our last lesson. Three points here. Three ways. Three steps for how we redeem and transform our anger. Number one, you need to admit your anger. You need to admit your anger. You have to acknowledge it in your life. Even if you don't think you're an angry person, right? I just said in the beginning, I don't think I'm an angry person. Yep, I'm an angry person because I get angry. Some of us respond aggressively in our anger. Others of us respond passively aggressively in our anger. Hey, thanks for finally taking out the trash. No, that's not, a, that's not gratitude. That's just anger masked, right? No, I don't get angry. I just ignore her for three days. No, that's anger, don't you see? The Proverbs say a wise person is slow to anger. That doesn't mean you can't get angry. It does mean you take time to process that anger. What caused that anger? And you process it without reacting in unhealthy ways, even if you're a victim, even if someone else is wrong. Look, just admitting your anger is an act of humility and vulnerability. And God promises to give grace to the humble. It's in that humility that you bring, when you admit your anger, it, you're bringing the anger to light. You're bringing it into the light. It's in that humility that, that, that reconciliation even it becomes possible with the person. It's in that humility that God can soften your hearts and let down the pride to guard you from continuing to criticize. If you don't admit your anger, it will create a root of bitterness. If we don't admit our anger, it will control us. So admit your anger. 
Admit it. Admit it to your spouse. Admit it to your children. Admit it to your in-laws. Admit it to your small group members. Second, we must analyze our anger. So first, admit it. Second, analyze it. Is this good anger? Maybe the wrong has been done and anger is appropriate. Maybe we need to speak the truth in love in order to seek to restore that relationship. I'm not saying we don't do any of these things that anger can lead to. Anger can lead to good things. But you have to ask, what is making me angry? And here's the challenge here when we start to analyze it. Often what is making you angry is not just what the person has done. Often what is making you angry is how you interpret what the person has done or said. You, you know what I mean? I, I've talked about this before. Martin Luther says there's two levels of suffering. What, level one suffering is what is done to me. Level two suffering it is what, is what is happening inside of me. I think you can apply that to anger as well. Level one suffering what the person has done or said to me. Yes, I was hurt by what they said, that I was hurt by what they did. That's level one. And it could be even wrong. What they did was wrong, and that hurt me. But level two, that's where most of us live. It's how we interpret and process what that person has done to me. And when you, you, when you get angry, you have to go deeper and ask, what is really making me angry? What am I defending and protecting? What is so important to me that I'm willing to hurt others to keep it? Is it my honor, my independence, my point of view? Look, I, let me, you, I'll be at first to admit, here's my anger. You want to you get me angry? I'm not sure I should share this as my pastor, but you, want, you really want to get me angry? I, I defend myself all the time. I defend my ego, my pride. I need to be right. That's at the heart of it, right? My wife has helped me over the years to kind of dig through this. Like, why do you get angry? It's because I need to be right. Because when I don't feel right, something, something in me feels like I'm losing a part of myself. And even as I'm saying it, I'm like, are you an idiot? What's wrong with you? But I will, I will go to battle to prove that I'm right. Do I love being right more than I love the people around me? And I've said this before and we'll keep saying it in this series. You need community to discern these things in your heart. You need others to help you analyze and understand your anger. I'm not saying you go home and by yourself, just me and Jesus, we'll figure this anger thing out. I mean, that will help. But it also might help to ask the people around you who love you and go, hey, when do I get angry? What do you notice? Or ask your small group leaders, help me understand this. Help me process this. But once we admit our anger and analyze it, finally, we must repent of our anger. Repent is just the Bible word for turning around. Turn from our disordered love and turn to your first love, Jesus. This is hard, but this is what will transform our anger. When we turn to Jesus, he can then work in our hearts. It might mean going to the person you're angry with and asking for forgiveness. Whether or not you know you think they're going to forgive you or not. It might be going to the person who is angry with you and taking responsibility for what you've done. 
to repent, the work of Jesus must become more and more real to us. In other words, you have to understand what Jesus has done for you if you're going to then turn around and offer this kind, of, this kind of mercy to one another, this kind of humility to one another. There's this interesting proverb that is quoted even in the New Testament. It says in Proverbs 25, 21, If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. That's strange. If it said, if your friend is hungry, give him bread to eat, and if your friend is thirsty, give him water to drink, I'd be like, yeah, that's, I, I want to do that. That's good. It's good wisdom. It's one thing to, to advocate self-control, right? It's to one's glory to overlook an offense. Okay, I'll try to overlook an offense. But to advocate for providing for your enemies, bread and water, those are necessities. No other ancient literature said this. This is saying, not only do you not get angry at them, but you, you care for them and even save them physically. That seems impossible, doesn't it? Until you realize that's exactly what God has done for us. The Bible describes our relationship with God, apart from Jesus Christ, as we being enemies of God. We've turned our way from God. We have disordered love. We love other things more than we love God. What that means is at some point in our lives, we're all angry with God. Do you realize that? Do you realize that some of you may be angry with God right now? And you may not realize it because anger, anger inherently leads to denial. I said that already. But at some point, we will get frustrated or angry by how life is going. Do you know that humanity has always found this struggle against God? Ever since Adam and Eve, we've had a distrust of God. We're angry at what He gives or what He doesn't give us. And you want to know the strongest proof that as humanity we are angry with God? When God revealed himself fully in the person of Jesus Christ, when he showed us, this is what I'm truly like, I'm showing myself to you, I'm giving myself to you, what did we do with him? We crucified him. Literally the perfect human. He never did anything wrong, and we couldn't stand it. He said, well, that was 2,000 years ago. Come on, we, we haven't really changed much, have we? We're just the same. We beat Jesus, we spit on him, we nailed him to the cross. The one person who committed no offense, we were so angry. And what did God do? Did he retaliate? No. Did he withdraw and say, no, that's, I'm done? No. It was, he was showing his glory by overlooking an offense. All our offenses. But offenses against the holy God were committed. Justice had to be served. As a people, we have foolish hearts that make us stand condemned before a holy God. Someone had to pay for our foolishness. And Jesus on the cross absorbed our all the anger that he did not deserve, all the anger that we deserved. He took all the blame for our disordered love. And that's the glory of the cross. But not only that, not only did Jesus take our anger against him, Jesus endured God's anger against our sin. Remember, God is slow to anger, right? But his anger against our sin is completely justified. 
He loves us, but he hates our sin. So why did God place it on Jesus? Because he loved us. His love for us. Remember, anger is just love in motion. Anger is love moving towards the thing that which is a threat to that which you love. God had to, had to move his anger to Jesus instead of us. His anger drove him to have justice done against Jesus, the perfect man, so that he could deal with our sin without destroying us as sinners. The cross shows God's anger at sin, but listen to me, it also shows God's mercy towards us as sinners. Look, anger is not God's final word. Mercy is. He died for our sins so that he could rescue us, and then Jesus rose from the dead to prove, I can give you the same heart that I have. I can give you a new heart. I can transform your anger. Look, if you've never trusted in Christ, that's what you need today. Repent, turn from your sin, turn from your disordered love, and receive Jesus as your Savior by faith. And Christian, the more the love of Jesus becomes real to you, the more the gospel becomes the foundation of your identity and your acceptance, the more it will humble you and then empower you to, to love, and forgive, love and forgive others rather than just be angry and get even. Jesus really can redeem and transform our anger. Will you let him? Let's pray. We're about to go to a time of sharing and communion. I'm going to ask us to take a minute now just to pray as we prepare our hearts. Reflect on your own heart this morning. What are you angry about? Has someone hurt you? Or does someone continue to hurt you? How are you processing that anger? Pouting, withdrawal, blowing up. Confess that right now to the Lord. Maybe you know someone who's angry with you and you need to have a conversation with them. Ask God to give you the courage to do so, to do what is right and wise to restore the relationship. Maybe you don't get angry at all and you need to confess that to God. To let your heart more reflect His. Jesus, we remember what you have done. We consider the cross and the empty tomb. Jesus, you had to die because of our foolish hearts and yet you were glad to die for us because of your great love. We thank you that the Father's anger toward our sin is gone, that we've been made new, declared righteous. Thank you that we're no longer enemies, but now your beloved children, sons and daughters, that we who are in Christ can know you, love you, and be known by you, and be loved by you. Lord, no matter where each of us are with our anger, I thank you that there is hope today. If nothing else, remind every heart there is hope. Things can change. 
because we have a resurrected Savior. We ask that you would work in our hearts now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.